Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage, and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs, a feeling of community, understanding, and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. Hello and welcome back, listeners. We are back this week by popular demand. We have Blair again. Um, Blair, thank you so much for being here today. We, um, as you all know, my fabulous co-host, Hello. Sam, is obviously <laughs> here as well. Thank you, Sam. I'm here. <laughs> um, so you are here. So we want to get right into it today. We have an awesome topic that I think everybody is going to be able to relate to. Um, we are going to be talking about trauma, big T and little t traumas. Um, Blair is a therapist who specifically focuses in trauma. So Blair, you are very well positioned to tell us all about this. Um, specifically, we're going to be talking about medical trauma, I think. Um, but, you know, I think this is probably going to apply to many traumas um, throughout life that people experience. So welcome, Blair. Thank Absolutely. You for joining Thank us. you for having me again. And and yes, anything that we talk about regarding trauma, whether it's medical or anything else, it's this is how our brain deals with it. I love I love talking about the brain and how it works through these things. And man, knowledge is power. So the more you can know about what you've been through, it's so intriguing. Exactly. It's so intriguing. And I, I can't wait to <laughs> teach me about this because so often, so often I wonder, is this a trauma response or am I overreacting? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's what we do to ourselves. So, so yes, no gaslighting of yourself. It is. <laughs> I love that. Thank See? you. So let me hand it over to you real quick. I think you have a few yeah. disclaimers mm -hmm. you want to go through. So let's do that first. You you tell Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And up. if I'm a little scattered, it's just the end of the day. So keep me on track. All right. Um, <laughs> I, <that's laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, just starting out, you know, I am an LPC. So I am licensed in the state of Virginia. Um, so that means that I do all the things a therapist does. Um, when I am talking with you guys with, on a podcast, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, just a couple things to keep in mind. I am an LPC. I am licensed. I do see people for therapy, but listening to a podcast is not therapy. Okay. So if this is, if this strikes you and you're like, oh yeah, this is great. And I, and I'm getting getting what I need by listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos. That's awesome. I'm so glad you get that help, but it's not therapy. So if you feel like you need a little bit more, go seek someone out. Absolutely. Um, and if you think anything that I'm saying today applies to you and that you want to dig more deeply into it, please go talk to somebody. And I include some resources at the end that Sam and Megan are going to post so that you have those resources. Um, the other thing to think about just to kind of keep in mind if at any time while you're listening, while you're watching this, if you start to feel uncomfortable or start to, um, feel like a spiral coming on, if this brings up some thoughts or memories of something that's, that's very negative for you, stop, go take a break. Um, don't push through it. If we're talking about something that starts to make you feel really uncomfortable, 
Um, and like I said, I'm going to provide some resources at the end. So listening to this podcast, while it's not therapy, knowledge is power. And the more you know about what you're experiencing, the better. So this is a great place to start. And if you feel like you need more support, go talk to somebody. Um, so I think that's most of my disclaimers. And like I said, I'm going to give you those resources at the end. As Megan already mentioned, trauma is what we're talking about today. So she, she alluded to big T and little t traumas. And, you know, that might sound a little strange if you've not run across that before. But when we talk about trauma, it, the things that we think of as like those standout, you know, whether it's sexual assault or combat or a natural disaster, those big events, things that happen to you unexpectedly, um, getting a cancer diagnosis, right? Um, getting news after a test result that just blindsides you. You know, some of those can be big T traumas. These are these big one-time events or like standalone things that happen in your life that you go, yeah, I was not the same after that happened. So when I talk about big T trauma, that's what I'm talking about. Little T traumas are more things that are cumulative, um, and Sam was, I was talking to Sam a little bit earlier and she's got some great examples of like little T traumas that she's experienced. And so I'll have her talk about that a little bit, um, as we get into it, but trauma in its, in its self. So if we're going to try to define what a trauma is, you can define it different ways, but mostly we come back to this idea that it is a deeply distressing or disturbing event, or in the case of little T's a series of events that just kind of add up one on top of each other. So when we're talking about traumas in a mental health context, um, this is anytime we experience something in which we feel overwhelmed to the point that it changes us. We, we don't think we can get through it. We are, our senses are overwhelmed. Our emotions are overwhelmed. Our logic central processing units are overwhelmed. And we think that, you know what? I may not make it. So our fight and flight, fight or flight is engaged in those moments. Um, so when we experience these traumas, it becomes psychologically significant when the symptoms that we experience after that trauma result in you as an individual feeling like you're reliving these events when you get reminded of them. It's not just having a memory and going, ah, yeah, that was really awful. I didn't like it. It's something triggers a memory and you feel like emotionally, mentally, physically, you're back in those spaces and your coping skills from being in a fight or flight situation get triggered. And that's when we know that there's a problem because that's when it's interfering with your functioning. And that's when we really want to talk about getting help, healing through traumas at that point. Really what it comes down to is these traumas are very personal to you. And what I experience as trauma might be different from what, you know, Megan or Sam or you experience as trauma, because it all has to deal with what you are equipped to deal with, what you're facing in the moment, and whether or not you reach that limit of, I am overwhelmed and I have to fight or flee to get out of this in order to survive. And that's going to be different for every single person. So I absolutely may I ask a question real quick. So 
we always hear about mm-hmm. the fight or flight. Um, where does freeze come into that? Because I've heard people use either just the two of those or the so third. Yeah. Um, and here's mm-hmm. here's kind of why I'm asking. So I was, this was soon after I was diagnosed and I was at this cute little store shopping. It was a little boutique short store. And the lady that owned the store was there working and we just started chatting um and i told her about like you know my recent diagnosis and she told me that she had also recently been diagnosed with breast cancer and i was like no shit you know so i automatically start asking who is your doctor who is you know who's your oncologist where are you going and she had nothing like she had been diagnosed before i had and i had already had a double mastectomy and she had yet to go see anybody about it and to me it seemed I mean I this is not my area I don't really know but in my brain I thought fight flight or freeze she picked freeze she didn't know where to go she didn't know who to call so she did nothing like no googling either and I wrote down my doctor's names for her and I was like hey this is at least a good place to start (laughs) they're wonderful give them a call and to this day I hope that she did um but is that, did people just kind of make the freeze thing up or is that a legitimate so that's a, thing? Yeah, that that's a really does? good question because there's actually four. Like if you, if you really, if you dig into oh. it, there's actually four of them. And the, the freeze and the last one are a little bit like newer, like not because like no one's ever experienced them before, but because as we think about it and research and kind of see how people respond, because let's be honest, our, our, the history of psychoanalysis and psychology is not very deep, right? Let's, let's be real honest. Freud was not that long ago. Um, so there is no. still so much Lobotomies were not that long ago. <laughs> no, they weren't. They really weren't. Like you're talking about like 1930s. People were still doing this like legitimately. Um, not to get off on a tangent, but anyway, right. so we're still doing research. We're still observing. We're still like, um, I've been doing EMDR, which I love, love, love EMDR, but that's a new thing. And it's just started out and it's just developed and we're just researching it, but it's so powerful and so good. So we're learning things about our responses and about um, our brains and how we interact with our environments all the time. So yes, fight or flight, those are the two classic ones. And so you'll hear most people like, that's a shorthand, right? If I say fight or flight, I'm really like encompassing everything because that's kind of the shorthand. And those are really understandable. Like fight, think about a dog who's threatened. Oh my gosh, what what is the dog going to do? They're going to turn around, they're going to bring out their teeth, they're going to start barking at you right? Flight, what happens if a deer gets scared? Deer is like, out of there, right? Run as fast as you can. Freeze, what happens if a possum gets scared, right? They Classic possums, you find them on the side of the road stiff, but they're not dead. They've just been spooked. And so they're, they're faking it, faking right? Dead. <laughs> exactly. So yes, there is a freeze response. I'm picturing goats. <laughs> yes, yes, those, right those fainting goats. How the goats just like, yes. Right. So we see this, we, we see this, right. That, and we do it too, where we freeze, where we're just so paralyzed by the, oh my gosh, what do I do? I don't know how to survive in this. And maybe if I just stay real still, they'll ignore me. Right. And so there is freeze, but then the other one that we're kind of playing around with discovering, figuring out is, um, it's called fawn. 
so we had because we had to stick with stick with the F theme, right? F, of course, of course. <laughs> so we had to pick something like that. But but think about like um, when you okay. So think about again back to like dogs. Right? If you've seen dogs and a smaller dog or a less aggressive dog meets a dog that's in charge, sometimes that dog just lays down, rolls over on its belly, and goes, "Hey, okay, <laughs> like." I'll do what you want. Yeah. Right. Like submitting. And so exactly, exactly. We couldn't say submit because that's an S and not an F, right? <laughs> of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got this other one in there that's the fawn that is like sometimes we turn in this, we like click on this mode where it's like, oh yeah, of course you're in charge. You're the big man in charge and I'll do anything. What do you want? Can I get you a cup of coffee? Right. And that's how we survive. That's how we get through. So so yes, phrase is legitimate. And it's and it's not it's not um, limited to do, to just fight or flight. We're still learning about what do we do and what does this like breakdown look like for us when we get into these traumatic situations, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for explaining that. And the fawn thing, I just pictured when you said that, I pictured myself with mm-hmm. my doctors. Yeah. Like, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you exactly. so much for helping me. Tell me what to do. I'll do whatever right. you want me to do. Do you want me to grab you a Starbucks on my way in? Like what? Mm-hmm. Anything. Just keep me alive. Exactly. <laughs> I'm in danger. I'm overwhelmed. You're supposed to be in charge. So please, 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 please don't let me die. Right? Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's so interesting. I know. I love it. So, okay. Sorry. So let's, let's get back <laughs> right, to the, the trauma thing. You were explaining big T, yes. little T. Um, I think you were saying that little T is over time a series of smaller right. traumas yeah um, so, so, yeah so so some, good ex- some good um <laughs> good examples uh there's there's research coming out there's new diagnoses coming out all the time there's um we're talking about like complex ptsd now is a thing it's not in the dsm quite yet but we're talking about it and that has more to do with individuals who experience um um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like emotional traumas over and over and over again, especially as children living with parents that might have a personality disorder, right? So when you're in a situation in which you are continually invalidated, in which you are made to feel unsafe, in which you're not allowed to have emotions, all of these things build up and that can develop into a, a like a series of symptoms that do look like PTSD, but don't come from a single event. They come from this complex interaction of what's going on in the family system or with your caretakers in which you're continually feeling unsafe um, in your environment. And so those are the little T things. They can also be things like um, when you're in school, like bullying, if you've been bullied over and over and over again, you're going to develop triggers towards behavior that feels like bullying or that feels like you're back in that situation. Um, Being in toxic environments, whether it's a workplace or a relationship or a family system, those can have just a series of these small T traumas. Again, it's like just little things, being invalidated, being made to feel unsafe, like you're not allowed to have an emotion, like you're responsible for everybody else's emotions in the room. Um, And then when it comes to like medical as well, this is a big thing, especially with um, cancer patients, right? Us. Because 
we have to go and get that injection. We have to go and get that infusion. We have to go and do the scan. We have to go to the hospital for this and then this and then this and then this. And we have to deal with the, the pain and discomfort of procedures and the unknown of waiting for the next scan. And it's just all these little things that can build up that can create, you know, a series of symptoms that we're now responding to getting in the car and driving to get your infusion oh my gosh, now I feel like I'm suffocating because I know this is where I'm going to go, right? So we can develop that. I found too that like- Go ahead. No, 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 you're fine. (laughs) I was going to say uh, like one, how do I say this? So yes, dead on everything that you said about, you know, those little T traumas that happen over and over and over again. Um, One thing that I- it took me a long time to realize what it was that I was feeling. I didn't know what it was at the time, you know, going through all of these medical procedures and surgeries and scans and pokes and prods and all of that. Um, of course, it's yes, it's uncomfortable and it's everything else that you just said. But I only recently realized that it is the vulnerability of that situation especially for somebody that is used to being in control of a situation, <laughs> i.e. me, um, it, it, that, that vulnerability and the feeling of, maybe you can help me out with this language, Blair, because I'm not going to say it in the right way, but this, this feeling of being taken advantage of, like I didn't, right before I started talking, I didn't want to say necessarily that it's like, um, you know, a sexual assault or rape but there's that feeling of my my body was just exposed to or taken advantage of in some way that i do not i i I don't give consent even though of course yes you're giving consent you know you sign the papers but you're there but i remember leaving (laughs) yeah but i remember leaving a lot of doctor's appointments and i felt so vulnerable and taken advantage Mm -hmm. of can you help me with that yeah, language? Yeah, Do you know, I know what, what I'm you're trying, trying to say? say? It's it's we've lost bodily on to- autonomy on almost right, like our our autonomy, our our control over our body is gone. But y- yes, we have agreed, you know. And I remember I had this conversation with my therapist when I was going through all of this, and it's like I don't have a choice. I have to do yada yada. And she's like, wait a minute, you do have a choice. You don't have to do treatment you don't have to you're choosing to do the hard thing and i appreciated that but that also just exposes this even more like we we agree to do these things we agree to go in and know i'm going to take my top off and let you feel up my boobs because like that's how i'm getting the treatment that i need Yes, I'm choosing to do that, but am I really, like, is it really my choice that every time I go into my oncologist, I strip down, right? And so I'm losing that autonomy. I'm losing that ability to say, like, I really don't want you touching my boobs today, right? Because we've chosen to engage in treatment, which means now we don't get to choose who touches us, right? Or who sees us, or, you know, being you know, freezing your butt off sitting there on that thing because you just wanted to talk about medications. But every time you go to oncologist, this is just what we, what we do. Right. So yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about and it's a thing. Okay. Thank you for putting 
the, <laughs> the, the right words yeah. to what I was saying. Because, like, I, I grew up with all women. I don't care who sees my boobs, real or fake. Mm -hmm. I've never really cared. It wasn't that for me. And I know that that's, that is something for a lot of people. They they do not feel comfortable stripping down in front of a new doctor or a nurse or whoever. Um, but it was, it happened to me usually right mm -hmm. after a surgery when there was a make change that I hated. That's when I felt like my bodily autonomy yeah. was taken. Right. Guess, it's or exactly like I, I no longer have <laughs> control. Like I, I was in theater, right? I have sisters. I just like, yeah, who, who cares? Whatever. But it does wear on you. It grates on you because I, I don't mind yeah. stripping down for a purpose, right? If that's what has to happen, but you're, I'm no longer able to choose. I'm no longer able to choose right. who and when and where. And it's not necessarily the nudity that's the issue. It's just the fact that I, I can't say no in those situations. I can, I can say no, but if I'm choosing to engage in the treatment, I can. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. So who experiences trauma? I mean, is this like an everybody thing? Is this, you know, just a select few number of people that have had some bullshit yeah. happen in their life? Like, so this is one of the great debates. Like, are we predisposed to something like PTSD? Um, is it only, is it only environmental? You know, what we found is that anyone who has an exposure to something that they feel is traumatic can develop PTSD and can have trauma symptoms. So especially folks who have the like firsthand exposure, right? If this is happening to you, whether it's assault, whether it's, you know, watching a loved one pass away in front of you, whether it's surgery, medical, whatever, yeah, you're at risk. Um, also people who are just watching and might see this happen, um, those are at risk. Like think yeah. about our, our partners, right? Our partners and our support system, our good friends, our, our loved ones, our family. They are witnessing us go through that and having fear for us and our lives, right? I just had this conversation with my husband, right? So he's in a situation where he like, genuinely fears for my life at certain times because of what I've been through. Yeah, that's traumatic, right? You know, people who yeah. who might not be personally involved too, just seeing it, that can be enough for someone. Um, and then also when we think about like first responders or folks who hear about this, you know, my aunt might not be in the same state with me going through this with me, but she knows it's happening, right? Um, so those might sound yeah. so tangential and not close to it, but it really, it goes back to what are you equipped to deal with, right? Are you equipped to deal with it or is this overwhelming yeah. to you? So it can be anybody, absolutely anybody. And, you know, we just have to be really careful that we don't, um, judge people and say well how would you this isn't this isn't your deal well you don't know you don't know no trauma shaming everybody exactly <laughs> exactly if you tell me you have trauma all right i believe you yeah. <laughs> all right you don't have I, to prove it to me yeah um, i think it's very important like what you're saying or what i'm taking from it is it happens in all forms to everybody in different ways uh something very simple can be very traumatic to somebody whereas 
something big is not so much. I always say like, I knew I had cancer. So like getting diagnosed with cancer, it was just like, okay. Like I already knew for a while. I was just like, crap, now we have to do chemo and do all this stuff that's going to be uncomfortable, which I think, um, you know, other things during treatment led to that little T trauma with me. Um, but it's just so crazy because you would think that that would be a big, big T moment. And it really wasn't because I was just like, yep, I knew it. Um, I, I saw it coming. I already knew, but other things mm -hmm. that I didn't expect to accumulate. And I was like, oh, this is no big deal. No big deal. Infusions every three weeks, blood draws every week. No big deal. I can totally do that. <laughs> you can. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think that that's a really interesting point, Sam, too, because, you know, I remember the day that I was diagnosed, how I was diagnosed over the phone, where I was, the type of coffee I was drinking. You know, I remember saying to my husband, it it felt, and I'm pleased for our listeners, I am not comparing the two, okay? But it felt to me like when 9-11 no, yeah. happened. Like, I remember I was okay. freshman in high school. I remember it was first break of the day, like your first 15, 20-minute break, just mm -hmm. like go to the bathroom or whatever. I was eating a banana. I still remember yeah. all of those things. But what's interesting at least like now refocusing, going back to cancer, what's interesting is there are so many things that my brain has just blocked out as well. You know, things that you would think would have been a really, really big deal to me. I I don't remember that conversation with a doctor. I don't remember that conversation with a friend or a family member or my husband. Um, so is that is that normal with like what can happen after experiencing a trauma? Yes. I mean, I sent you guys this list of the different symptoms, and I'm just going to read through the list just so everyone can hear it. Um, these are different yes. symptoms that things you might experience after going through a traumatic event or after the series of small T's. You might notice these things develop for you. So symptoms well, that we look for... <laughs> Let's um, all get out a pen and paper and make tally marks. <laughs> tally mark. Yes. Just tally mark and tell me how many that you come up with. All right. So symptoms that you might experience, right? So depression, feelings of hopelessness, feelings of helplessness, irritability, anger, issues with concentration or focus, loss of interest or feelings of numbness, sleep disturbance, nightmares, insomnia, loss of memory for events, negative emotions and thoughts hypervigilance, anxiety or panic attacks, dissociation or derealization, substance use, risky behaviors, somatic symptoms, so body symptoms, and flashbacks. Well, when you say it like that, Blair, um, should I commit myself? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't commit. No, don't commit yourself. Don't commit yourself. No. Do you guys remember that thing on TikTok years ago, or not even years ago, and they probably still do. Yes, like, yes. Well, we played that game, though, right? You ever off. played that game, though? Like, yeah. it was a drinking game. I have no, no fingers left right. or toes Never have I ever. That's after that list. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yikes. No. Yeah, go ahead. So why, why does that happen? I mean, you had, you mentioned, like, the somatic symptoms, and I... 
I mentioned, I don't, honestly, at this point, I don't ever know if I mentioned it to Sam or on an episode or a guest or my dog or whatever, but the somatic symptoms, like I did not go through chemo, but I lost a ton of hair. I remember having just clumps of hair coming out and I was like, probably stress and just moved on past it. Is that right? That would yes. be a somatic symptom, so, right? So um, for a lot of folks, okay. like we are talking about um, nausea, we're talking about um, aches and pains, things that you're, oh, am I developing arthritis? Like tightness, tension in your muscles and your neck, anywhere you can think of, even weird random pains. Like there's so much. And the more that I see, the more I'm convinced there's always some sort of connection here. There's so much when we talk about things like fibromyalgia or like chronic illness or autoimmune disorders and looking at how tightly those are connected to trauma because your body just freaks out. Like it just freaks out and all the hormones and everything that just get released and flooded your flood, your system, they mess up with systems. Like they mess systems up, whether it's GI systems, whether it's immune deficiencies, all of those things can be impacted by trauma. So if you've all of a sudden developed you know, a nervous stomach and can no longer eat certain things like, well, all right, what's your body telling you? Right. How many of us have realized that like, you know what, I can't eat certain things on certain days or else I will be sick. Right. And yeah, it has to do with chemo or treatment or whatever, but it's also because our body is just freaking out. Yeah. Headaches, migraines, all of that. What is, what is the kind of the science behind that? Will you explain to us like, how's the brain work? Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned earlier that like we're obviously always learning more about the brain, but I'm I'm very intrigued in what you know about absolutely. Like, the so I'm not going to go off on the long tangent that is the science between like the somatic symptoms because that is that it's is, yeah. is its own long tangent. If you're interested, there is a book. It is called "The Body Keeps the Score" by uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, and he is the gold standard in trauma research right now. And he has an entire organization that is researching and looking at the way trauma impacts our bodies. So the body keeps the score. If you really want to read it, it's a fantastic book. Um, yeah, we'll, put it yes, in the we'll listen. Um, the other symptoms. So other than the somatic symptoms, the other ones, the flashbacks, nightmares, hypervigilance, all of that. It all gets tied back into how we store, excuse me, how we store memories and how the brain has automatic like protection systems built in that work really well for specific things, but not so great when the brain keeps using them over and over. And when we go through traumas, sometimes what happens is our brain gets stuck in the on mode on some of these things and it causes these other symptoms that we're experiencing. So, so when it comes to like the, the brain, the general structures of the brain, I mean, there's all sorts of different areas and things that we've named, um, different areas that are responsible for different things. We don't have to know all of those details for, for this part, for, for understanding our brain and the way it processes trauma. We want to think of the brain as like three major, um, sections in our brain. So if you think of the first section the frontal lobe. So that's literally in the front part of your brain. This is what we can nickname um, like the thinking brain. 
this is where our reasoning, problem solving, verbal expression, narrative memory is all stored, is in the front part, most highly developed part of our brain. The, the limbic system is kind of like the middle part, and that is um, sometimes called the mammalian brain. So think about like ma mammals in general. It's nonverbal, but it does hold emotional, um, like our emotional senses, relational experiences, kind of our gut feeling memories. That's all in that middle part of the brain. And then the, the last part is literally the brain stem area. So right at the base of the brain. And people sometimes call this the, the reptilian brain. So this is where our instincts are, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, um, where things like our heart rate, our breathing, hormones, like are all back in that like very basic part, the least developed part of our brain. Yeah. What happens when we experience trauma is the frontal lobes, so those like highly developed thinking, reasoning, verbal, narrative memory, that shuts down because we don't need that when we're trying to not die, right? It's, it's, it's beyond like, I'm trying to survive. It's just, I'm trying not to die at that moment, right? So we don't need that. And when I say narrative memory, and this, this is important later, but when I say narrative memory, that's how we understand our world, right? I understand my life because I know that I woke up this morning and I got out of bed and I went to the bathroom and then I turned my coffee pot on and then I got my breakfast and then I sat down and I read a chapter in my book and then I did this and then I did this and then I did this. And I did this. That's narrative memory, right? We can look back and understand what's happened. Okay. So narrative like a story because the reality is our life is the story we tell ourselves about our life right we can't relive the past so we live yes. in the story we tell ourselves um but that shuts out that shuts down when we're in a trauma situation it gets literally overwhelmed and that part of the brain is no longer recording memories at that point the limbic system so that middle mammalian system it goes on high alert it turns on the alarm it says like hey something's wrong but remember, this system is not verbal. This system relies on emotion and gut feeling. Then what kicks into high, high gear is our reptilian brain, that brainstem area, that like very basic part that it turns on whether we're going to fight or flight or whatever in the moment. It turns that on. It engages. It operates on a really, really short window. So um, I, don't, I don't remember how... I wish I remember where I read it from, but it operates on something like an 18 second window, right? It's not remembering the past. It's not thinking about the future. It's going, where is the next threat coming from? And how do I make it through the next two seconds, right? The only objective of that part of our brain is survival. How do I not die? Eventually, once we calm back down, the rest of the brain turns back on, re-engages, and we go about our day. But the problem is, as we were going through that experience, that memory is not stored in the frontal lobe because the frontal lobe wasn't on. That memory is stored somewhere else. And when we refer to that memory, when that memory gets triggered, all of that stuff that happened in that trauma moment comes along with it. And we don't have a narrative to explain it when it happens. And that's what happens when we get triggered. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I guess that's the difference between being triggered and having that kind of cognitive narrative memory. Okay, this happened because of this or this happened because of this reason or I was doing this and I remember doing this. The opposite of that or, you know, other side of that, the trigger response is like, oh, snap, I drove my car and through this light that I got into a car crash with and then I, you know, suddenly was brought back in that moment or something like that, you know, and you have no control over it because at least for me, when I've been in a car crash, you don't really remember it. Like, you're right. It's not stored in your narrative memory. You're not like, oh, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. You're like, uh, right. I don't really know what happened. It kind of blacked out and then hit the glass. Right. And then you're in the back of the ambulance and the cop is sitting across from you saying, I need to take your statement. And you're just crying because you're like, I don't know what happened. Right. Well, people use the term triggered all the time. It's kind of a colloquial yes, term now. And I think people use it in a way that it isn't meant to be used. How would you explain from from your perspective as a trauma therapist, what is triggered? What is Excellent triggering? Question. Thank you for asking. Um, so yes, like you said, <laughs> it is a very popular term right now. I mean, we pop psychology is what it is. Um, it's great to have awareness, but a lot of times things get like delivered without context, right? So I mean, in the definite like the dictionary definition of a word a trigger is something that causes something, right? And logically, all events have a cause. Like there is not a single thing that happens in our world without some sort of cause and therefore everything can be a trigger, right? Because it's causing something. But when we're talking about it in a psychological sense, like in a therapeutic sense, a, a trigger is something that taps into that memory, that trauma memory, and brings it up to the surface. So it is something that puts you out of the narrative and back into the trauma memory. And it can be anything. Um, it, it, it can be absolutely anything that reminds you of that trauma. It can be um, like a physical sensation. It can be a sound, a smell, a position that your body is in. It can be the time of the day. It can be the time of the year. It can be an emotion or like something internal that happens that becomes a trigger for you. And when that trigger um, taps into those trauma memories at the extreme level, when we're talking about a flashback or a dissociative episode, what happens is you feel like you're actually back in the event. It's not like, you know, if I ask you a regular, normal narrative, can you tell me what happened when? You're going to go back through your little Rolodex file and go, oh, yeah, that was this day. This happened and this happened and then I went here and I went here and I went here. And you put the little Rolodex card back. That's what happened. When you are triggered into a trauma memory, it's back and it's like, oh, this emotion and this thought and this and this. And then something was coming at me. I thought I was going to die. And there's, Sam, like you were saying, it's not like a very neat, orderly this and this and this. It's everything all at once. And you feel like you are literally back in the moment. You can't describe really a order of things. It's just you feel it, you hear it, you see it, you smell it all together all at once. And that's the extreme end of what happens when, when we have a triggering moment for trauma. Now, everything's a spectrum. Like we can have something that's triggered that's not that extreme, but that's, this, that's the idea is that it, 
it's on the level of a, of a flashback and we feel like these moments, these, these triggered memories are completely cut off from everyday memories and events because they, they genuinely are. And so what we find is that list of symptoms that I read earlier, those things happen because we get triggered, right? And those are the ways we cope with either being triggered and having to live through it or avoiding triggers. And so that list of symptoms happens because we have this trauma in our background that we're just, we don't know how to deal with. Um, and why would you? We're not born with that. <laughs> right. We're not born with that. So we have to learn how to deal oh, with man. it. Oh, man. That's where therapy comes in. Well, yeah. Coping <laughs> skills, yeah, I was coping say, skills let's... do not come from the womb, unfortunately. I'm sure in uh, 2050 or so, we probably will, but. I will be terrified when that happens, but you know, whatever. I, I always joke that law school does not teach people healthy coping <laughs> mechanisms, and it certainly doesn't. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. Like we don't, we don't know what to do. So, talk to me about what mm -hmm. therapy does to kind of help you get to a point of where you don't have these crazy symptoms yeah, that you absolutely. listed off. So, so when we talk about like trauma therapy, um. It's, it's very specific. Like if I have someone coming in who, who has experienced trauma and they want treatment for trauma and they want trauma-focused therapy, I'm going to go at it in a very specific order, right? Phase number one is me saying, all right, what tools can I give you so that you can figure out how to calm down on your own? You can trust yourself that if you get triggered out in the wild, you can calm yourself down, right? Because in therapy, we're going to trigger you on purpose to talk through things, right? But we don't do that until you're confident that you can calm yourself down, right? The second phase that we get into, once that person becomes confident that they are able to calm themselves down, both in session and outside of session, is then we start talking through the therapy, the, the, the trauma. Then we start like actually untangling that memory. So Sam, you asked this question, I think last time we were having a conversation kind of about this, like to... And I thought, and I want to give this visual in case this is recording, we can actually show people. I want to give you this visual. So yes, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to draw a picture of kind of what happens when we oh talk about goodness. narrative memory. So like narrative memory. So see, as I'm drawing a line. So imagine this like single line on a piece of paper, narrative memory. It's all connected, all from one point to the next point to the next point, like in math, right? Lines are continuous. And then if a trauma happens, that shuts off that stops and then all this other stuff is going on and we're like emotions and feelings and thoughts and like oh my gosh what's happening what's happening what's happening and, and the part of our brain that's recording this is nonverbal, so it doesn't connect to this line in any way then we start to calm down and we come down off of that and then the normal narrative memory starts up again right so there literally is this break there literally is this break in our narrative memory so in phase two in trauma treatment, what we do is we take this and we figure out how to untangle it and put something in put here. Put it back in the narrative. <laughs> right? So this mess, this like tangled ball mess that I drew up here up top, that's out of place. In therapy, what we're doing is we're untangling this. We're un like basically pulling the threads out, making them make sense and putting them back where this broken line is so that there's some sort of understanding of what happened in a way that's that you can access without being triggered right you can access 
without going back into this massive mess of everything being tangled up together. So that's, that's the major point when you get into trauma treatment. And then phase three is really looking at it and going, how do you want to, how do you want to live your life knowing that this has been part of your life? This is part of your story. We can't erase it. We can't like backtrack and take it out of your story. I can't erase those memories, but what do you want to do with it now? Like, this is your story. How do you want to use it to create a life that's worth living for you from here on out? And of course, like with any therapy, we cycle through things like the stages of grief are not linear. It's the same thing with trauma, right? So what I focus on with people like, (laughs) and sometimes this takes the, this takes the longest is that phase one, right? Like, what do we, what do we do when we recognize this laundry list of symptoms in ourselves? What do we do? How do we deal with that? And that's something anyone can start doing on their own, right? So some of the major things that I work through with people are some breathing exercises, grounding exercises, working on state change for your body. And the reason we do that is because our, our nervous systems have two major modes. One is the sympathetic nervous system, which is where fight, flight, freeze lives. Um, when our body is in this symptom, the, the sympathetic the nervous system, um, our adrenaline is up, our heart rate is up, our muscles are tense because they're getting ready to run. Um, the frontal lobe shuts down all of that. That's what we're talking about in the, in the sympathetic state. On the opposite end of that coin, on the other side of that, is the parasympathetic state nervous system. That's, um, people have called it like rest and digest. So this is where your breathing is slower, your heart rate is slower, you feel calm, you feel safe. Your body can actually digest food. When we're in fight or flight, the reason you get sick and you might throw up is because your body's like, we don't need this right now. We might die. Let's jettison that and get rid of it. And so when we're calm, we can actually digest our food (laughs) rather than just like get out of here. Expel it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So that's why we throw up when we get really nervous, right? Um, But knowing that these two can't be on at the same time. So if I find myself in this like sympathetic state where my adrenaline's up, my heart rate's up, my breathing's up, and it's because of a memory, right? If I find myself in that state because of a memory that's been triggered, what I want to do is I want to do things that force my body to calm down because I can't be resting and digesting while I'm fight and flighting. Can't do both of those things. And usually when you're in that fight or flight mode, you can't think yourself out of it, number one, and you can't feel yourself out of it, number two. I can't say, well, I decide I'm going to feel a different emotion right now. Wouldn't that be I awesome? Think I, I th- <laughs> it would. And I think I told you, Blair, when you we were talking before that I feel exactly that when I'm like getting my scan and the way I counter that is by grounding as you told me which was me counting when they tell me I'm going to be in there for 15 minutes I'm like okay one two second by second and I'm like one minute two minute three and I'm like oh I lost count I'll restart it'll be like once I'm done in 15 minutes 10 minutes have already gone by it'll be great exactly because you're keeping yourself in the present moment and that's what grounding is grounding is I refuse to be in the past or the future I'm going to stay in the present moment. And so we ground because we are connecting and anchoring ourselves to the here and now, to what is real in space here and now with us, because the past is in our brain. It's in our brain. 
doesn't mean it doesn't impact us, but it's in our brain. It's not here and now. The future is also in our brain. Causes us anxiety, right? And worry. And if I pay attention to what's here and now, I'm not paying attention to either of those things. I'm making myself acknowledge I'm here, I'm now. I might not like being in the scanner, but I'm not physically in danger, right? I might not, not like that. Right, <laughs> exactly. You know? And so that's, you know, when we're doing grounding exercises, we're anchoring ourselves through our five senses, whether it's counting, whether it's how many things can I hear around me? How many tiles are in the ceiling above me? Can I feel my feet in my shoes? Can I feel my seat on my chair? Like that's all grounding because it's paying attention to our, our senses, which only exist in the here and now, right? I think that's really important. Um, yeah, I, Of course, like the grounding bit that we were just talking about but right before that you know you were saying that you can't live in both worlds at once you know you can't be in fight or flight and rest and digest at the same time and I think that that's really um necessary probably for a lot of our listeners to hear because you know I'm coming from I, I I've said this a million times like I'm from Michigan I come from the Midwest in the Midwest we don't we don't go to therapy nobody <laughs> needs to go to therapy everything's fine brushed under the rug and there's this sense that if you are having these issues if you are finding yourself triggered in some way or another and having these reactions that it's a weakness and I think it's very, very important for people to understand that this is an actual physical reaction. This has nothing to do with how mentally tough or weak you are. This is something that very much needs to be worked through um, for your own, just for your own well-being. So you can continue living. It doesn't mean that you're weak. And that took me personally a long time. It was kind of like to deconstruct the, the Midwest out of myself. To realize that, you know, going to therapy and figuring this stuff out is actually a lot more difficult than not. You know, I mean, you were drawing that picture of the line and then the breaking of the line and the insanity that happens and then the line starting again. Um, honestly, I feel like therapists are like earning sainthood, <laughs> trying to try to figure out that ball of emotions and feelings and everything with people. Um, but that is, that is really, really difficult work. You know, I mean, I've been doing that with my therapist and it is very complicated, especially when the part of your brain that is holding that and is processing that is the nonverbal part of your brain, as you just explained. How in the hell am I supposed to give words to my feelings and emotions when they, they don't likely exist? They weren't put there with words that's got to be you know that is very very difficult um so i just i wanted to throw that out there because i think that that's a really important point for people to take because everybody you know breast cancer doesn't discriminate um no illness usually discriminates um and trauma doesn't discriminate and it comes it happens to people from all different walks of life with all sorts of different feelings about different you know medical treatment mental health treatment, all of that. I just want people to oh, take that away <laughs> from absolutely. this portion of the conversation. Absolutely. And I think I was talking about this a little bit earlier too, like as we understand 
how will we react and as we understand well what is trauma and and this this diagnosis we've created which is ptsd right what what is that why does it happen why do some people who go through an experience develop ptsd and other people who go through very much the same experience don't you know is it is it you know mental toughness is it resiliency is it grit is it you know, and, and the, the big answer is we don't know. Like, we really don't know why some people come out of a tornado and are totally fine. And some people come out of the same tornado and have PTSD and have to work through this. You know, there's all sorts of theories out there, but the reality is we don't know. And, and a lot of it comes down to, like, did you learn how to cope? And most of us don't learn how to cope with things like cancer. Because we, like... Why, no, why, right. exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Why, why wouldn't we? And the other thing that I want people to hear too, right? And Megan, you make a really good point. We have to make sure that people understand like this. It is not about mental toughness and it is not about like whether or not you had the magical resiliency gene. I mean, maybe that's it. I don't know. We haven't discovered the gene yet, but, but <laughs> there's no way to know. And because you develop these symptoms, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Because the reality is every single one of these symptoms that I listed, every single one of the coping skills that we look at when you're like, that's unhealthy. I hate using that word, right? I, I, I try to phrase healthy things. in moderation? <laughs> I try to phrase things like this, right? It's, it's helpful or it's not helpful, Right. And something, because, because here's the yeah. thing, something can be helpful in one situation and not helpful in another situation. And the coping skills that we inherently engage when we're going through a traumatic event are what we need to do at that moment to survive. It just is, whether it's dissociation, whether it's freeze, whether it's, you know, curling up in a ball in the fetal position on the floor, like whatever it is, that's what we need to do in that moment to get through it, right? And it works because you know what? If you have PTSD, it means you lived through it, right? You made it through. Yep. Okay. So what that means is yeah. what you did worked. And in that situation, it was helpful. Now it becomes unhelpful when you now curl into a fetal position in the corner and ball your eyes out every time something every feels day. hard, right? <laughs> right. Because what it happened, what happens is that's, that's non-functional. Like that gets in the, in the way of us functioning and living the lives we want to live, but it doesn't mean it's a bad coping skill. It means it's not helpful in these situations. And so we need to learn coping skills that are more helpful in our current situation. When we experience trauma and we develop something like PTSD, we get stuck and we are relying on coping skills that did work, but don't work anymore for us. They're not bad. You're not a bad person for using them, but they're just not helping you anymore. And so that's why we go so to therapy. <laughs> so beautifully said. Blake. That's such a simplistic. <laughs> I was going to say that's so simplistic and so well put. Thank yes. you. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, Blair, I know you blew my mind. I'm sure you blew Megan's mind and all of our listeners. I want to make sure that we get your um, resources slash references in here that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yes. Um, I did want to ask you, Blair, real quick, because I know that we are going to try to wrap up, but 
Can you give our listeners some examples of some grounding exercises or I, I think yeah. that's what you called them um, or breathing exercises or whatever, if they're having that moment mm -hmm. of panic and they find themselves on the floor or in the car pulled over on the side of the road bawling or something like what, what would you suggest that they do? Well, yeah, exactly. So, okay. So <laughs> caveat number one, grounding, breathing, whatever exercises don't work if you only use them when you're panicking. All right. So whatever exercises you start looking up and you start wanting to use, do not wait to use them when you are only panicking, because what's going to happen is you are going to associate that exercise with panicking. And we don't want mm. that. Okay. I, Ooh. I don't do it often, no. but I have run across folks. Um, I had a client at one point who was like, I can't do breathing exercises. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do a breathing exercise? Well, every time I do a breathing exercise, I go into a panic attack because I conditioned myself that when I do breathing exercises, I'm having a panic attack. I'm like, oh, okay, then let's try something else, right? Oh, that's great. Next. Yeah. <laughs> so, At least you had that uh, Yeah, I know. I was, like, I was like, all right, thank you for telling me. We're not going to do that here, right? Um, so, so that's a big caveat, right? So if you want to pick up one of these exercises, any of them, my strong recommendation, remember I'm not your therapist, but my strong recommendation is that you practice these when you're already having a good day so that when you need them, you're already associating them with calmness and you already know what to do. You're not trying to search in your mind for what was that one podcast that I listened to that one time? Is it something about breathing? I don't know. <sighs> no, that's Lamaze. What's going on? Like, all right. So, <laughs> so practice these beforehand is what I'm saying. So breathing, there are, I mean, any of these, you can go on YouTube and find so many examples, but I like simple, simples better. Okay. So my, my two favorite ones I'll go on with go over with you. So breathing, great. We all breathe. But when we're trying to calm ourselves down, what we want to do is breathe on purpose. So we regulate and we structure. So it's a you breathe in for four, you breathe out for four, you breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. And you count to four in your head because it's hard to count while you're breathing out loud but you count while you're breathing and you're also breathing into your diaphragm. So if you don't know where your diaphragm is, it's about around where your belly button is and our lungs actually expand downwards into the diaphragm. They don't go up or out because we have rib cages that don't expand that much. So when we're taking a deep breath, our lungs are going down and filling our stomach pushing down against that diaphragm. So when you're taking a deep breath, you can put a hand right above where your belly button is and feel that expand when you breathe in. So we're going to breathe in. We're going to do a few different counts. So just breathe with me and I'll count. So what you want to do is you breathe in one, two, three, four, and out. Three, four, and in. Three, four and out, three, four and in and out, two, three, four. So while you're doing that, you're turning on rest and digest because we rest when we're calm. Our breathing is even when we're calm. If you start to feel a little sleepy, perfect. 
because that's what we're doing. We're starting to shut body down to like, I'm calm, I'm safe. We don't sleep if we don't feel safe, right? And so by counting, what we're also doing is filling your mind with something to focus on, right? If you're just trying to breathe, but you're letting your mind still keep going on whatever is happening, that's not helpful. So we're counting and we can count to four and we can count to four and we can count to four and you focus on the numbers as you're counting. So you're filling your mind, you're adjusting your body and you are forcing it to breathe in a way that signals to the rest of your system, I'm safe, I'm calm, it's okay. So that's that's my favorite breathing exercise, just in for four and out for four. If you wanna start making it work for you, pick a couple of times a day, like right before you go to bed, whenever you like sit in your car, before you go somewhere, when you get up in the morning and just take about four or five deep breaths and just, see how you feel after that. So what you're doing is you're connecting in your brain, oh, this feels good to the breathing exercise. So when you need it and you start to take those breaths, you've already conditioned your brain to connect deep breathing with feeling good, right? Yeah. So just like a trauma trigger, we associate something with something scary. We can use that system, that connecting items in our brain, we can use that for positive, like you're basically creating a positive trigger for yourself by doing that. Right? Again, simple and brilliant. I love it too. I love it. So the uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this other one I love too. It's because you can do it, and you can do this one, and no one has to know what you're doing. So grounding through the senses is something, and a lot of times, like you're always going to hear the five senses, like five things you can see and four things you can taste. Or like, I don't, I, I can never, honestly, I don't remember that one. I cannot remember that when my brain is full of squirrels. So I can't do it. But <laughs> what you can do is you, you pick a sense, whether it's hearing, um, sight, taste, smell, or touch, you pick one of those and you set a timer on your phone for like 30 seconds max because it's hard enough to do, right? 30 seconds. And in that 30 seconds, you just basically put words to everything that your brain is intaking with that sense, right? So my favorite is touch. Like touch for me is where I connect. Yours might be sight. I can't do sight. Squirrels in the brain. doesn't work but touch for whatever reason works. So if I'm going to do this, I might like pick up like a pen, right? So I might have a pen in my hand and I can do this with no one knowing I'm just, I'm just fidgeting, right? But I can feel, I can feel the sharp edges. I can feel the smooth edges. If it's got one of those rubber thingies on the top, I can feel the rubber thing on the top. I can run my fingernails under and around the little clippy part. I can feel the connection between where the the little clicky thing goes in and out. I can feel the ridges where the pin screws the two different pieces together. I can feel if there's like a little rubber grip on the side or if there's letters on the side that are raised, I can feel those. Is it cool? Is it smooth? Is it rough? Is it soft? Is it hard? And I just fill my brain with as many words as I can according to that sensation right? That, that particular sense. You can do this with sound. You can do this with sight. You can do this with smell. You can do this with taste, like have a peppermint in your pocket. I like that one a lot. Um, because really 
as I'm sitting there trying to think of as many descriptive words as I can to what this 10 feels like, I am not thinking about whether or not you think I'm crazy. <laughs> right? I'm just thinking about the pen. Right? Because the reality is when our brain runs away with us, whether it's past stuff, whether it's future stuff, when our brain runs away with us, we want to just say, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop thinking about that. But our brains are not vacuums. The way to stop it is to fill your brain with something else, whether it's a breathing exercise or grounding exercise using your senses, fill your brain with something else is what you want to do. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. For, I feel I feel so much calmer right now, even just doing those breathing exercises awesome. with you. I'm like ready for bed. <laughs> well, Blair, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate it. We hope that you'll be on again with us. Um, like we said, people loved having you on last time. I'm sure everybody's going to love this. And this one is wonderful because you don't have to no. have had cancer to appreciate this episode. You know, I mean, this isn't solely about cancer. This is just people right. and how we work and how Absolutely. we're built. And, and when we go through something like cancer, the reality is we need, we need all the all the tools we can get and whether or not you have a, a triggered trauma response the reality is where our anxiety is higher right our risk for being depressed is higher because of what we're going through and all of these things and knowing how your brain works and how your brain like handles this kind of stuff it helps you get ahead of the game and go okay well maybe maybe it's not just me being crazy maybe i am more anxious you know, maybe, maybe I am getting upset whenever I drive by the hospital because of all those little T's that have just added up and I need to give myself a little bit more grace because I've had this experience and giving yourself permission to be kind to yourself yeah. because you know what, you're not just going crazy. You're not just not tough enough. This is hard. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. Um, Sam, before I take take it away and close us out do you have any final um, thoughts no i don't blair um, thank you so much i just want to make sure that you get your resources so please yes. list those off absolutely there i will not i know i've, no, I've <laughs> typed them out i will send them to you ladies and you can post them um national suicide hotline is 988 that's a new one that's come out in the last few years there's also a national hopeline network it's a 1-800 number, 1-800-442-4673. These lines are not just for suicidal thoughts. Like, you don't have to be ready to hurt yourself to call these lines. These lines are there. Like, literally, the people who are manning these phones are there to talk to you. That is all that they are there for. If you're like, well, I don't think I'm going to hurt myself, but I really need to talk, they're not going to hang up on you. All right? <laughs> So please, please call them. They are there. These are, these are folks who really do care and they want to hear you out. Um, if you're looking for a therapist, psycholo psychologytoday.com is a great place to start. Um, another great place to start is call your insurance. If you have insurance, call them, ask them what your mental health benefits are and ask them for a list of providers that take your insurance. Um, they will give that to you. That is the best place to start because there's, you can Google, but there's a lot of folks that may not take your insurance. Um, your uh, primary care is also a good place to start. They should, if they don't, you know, we won't judge, but they should have some refer like referrals 
and some resources that are local to your area that they will point you to. Um, also, it's a good place to start if you are talking about like thinking about medication. Um, that's a good place to start as well. And also, The Body Keeps the Score is that book I was talking about. It's, it's an academic text. It is a solid text, but I wrote it down there for you. <laughs> that's about to be in my audible library Absolutely. by the end of the night. I will warn you, <laughs> it is an academic text, so there are some case studies in there. So if you do have um, sexual assault history, just be aware that there are some case studies in there. Um, but it is a good book. Thank you. I I'm gonna put I'm gonna put all of those. I'm so glad that you just rattled all of those off. I mean, you just said a lot of things that I would have never thought of. So I really, really am glad that you just rattled those off. I will be very diligent in making sure that those are in the uh, description slash show notes. Um, can't say thank you enough. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Um, I will let you know if we hear from any of our listeners and if they have specific questions for you. Um, and other than that, I want to let everybody know you, if you're listening on the podcast, um, on Apple or Spotify, you will have probably heard us kind of laughing about, you know, counting things on our fingers and stuff. And that is because we are now doing video. So if you are used to listening to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever else you listen to us on, please keep doing that. Please follow us or subscribe. It helps us out so much. But also go check us out on YouTube. We have real faces. Um, and this is a lot of fun. <laughs> so thank you so much, everybody, for taking the time out today, listening to us. Hopefully this is really, really helpful for you. And if not for you, guarantee for some other people that you know. So spread around the love. Send it to people that you know and care about. And you know what? Life is hard. We're all just doing our best. Keep your tits up, ladies. <laughs>